Faust in Wonderland, where theatrical plays and monologues are devilishly transformed into heavenly podcasts. And now, this. Well, that sure was a disappointment. That little snooze I took during the second act was my favorite part of the show. I know, a musical version of 12 Angry Men. What a stinker. The worst part is, pretty sure George knows we're here. We're gonna have to say hello and tell him what we thought of the show, and even worse, what we thought of him, and I'm a terrible liar. Well, there's no need to lie. I took some Biesma with a cup of wine during intermission, and now I'm ready to blow smoke up George's ass. Biesma? What's that? Well, thanks to science, now I can come up with all kinds of positive-sounding comments about even the worst performance without ever speaking an untruth. Just follow my lead. Will do, but how does Biesma work? Biesma suppresses your negativity by stimulating your inner Pollyanna so that you can find ambiguous things to say to friends committing the act of bad theater. Now let's hear from Doris Blather, co-creator of Biesma. Hi, I'm Doris Blather, famed Spring Falls Community Theater Triple Threat. Perhaps you remember me from our acclaimed production of A Chorus Line, playing the eponymous role of The One in our groundbreaking finale number. I truly was a singular sensation. Or my tour de force one-woman interpretation of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, where I played both Virginia and the wolf. I helped develop Biesma with my multi-talented scientist son-in-law, Harvey, who is also available for voiceover work. Isn't that right, Harvey? It sure is, Mother Doris. Harvey and I were so concerned with how to respond to seeing friends in, well, let's just say, productions that don't meet the bar set by the Winter Summer Community Playhouse. Or when the show is great, but your friend is the weak link. Your active friends can see you in the audience, so you simply have to visit them afterward. But what to say? Thanks to Harvey's online pharmaceutical certificate, we were able to whip up this delightful remedy in his basement laboratory. Not that you ever got bad note. <clears throat> Not that you ever got bad notices, Mother Doris. Your performance in Gypsy proved that if a middle-aged woman could play Peter Pan, there's no reason she couldn't also play young Gypsy Rose Lee. Thank you, Harvey. And your performance as Mama Rose proved an equally important point in regard to non-traditional gender casting. But now, back to our friends. Let's see how Biesma helps them navigate a sticky situation. Hey, you two. I thought I spotted you in the audience. I can't wait to hear what you think. You know I value your opinion, so please be honest. Ow, George. Just wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Really? Yes, I didn't know you could do all that. What a surprise. Uh, me too. I was really surprised too. <laughs> Thank you so much. This means so much to me. It was so great seeing you up there, right? Oh yeah, that was great. You guys. And you made some really interesting choices. So interesting. And there was at one part, you did a thing, a kind of gesture. I'm trying to remember, but it really stood out. Now, what was that? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. 
It was when I re-entered the jury room right after the baseball fantasy number. Yes, that was it. I can't believe you picked up on that. I worked really hard on it. Well, it worked perfectly. It did. Very effective, George. Uh, I was afraid it wouldn't read. Oh, we read. George, like, like a book. Oh, not just a book, a whole novel. All in that one gesture. Thank you both. I really appreciate your honest criticism. Well, you do the same for us. What a night. What a night indeed. Well, I gotta change and get notes. Thanks again for coming. And for the great feedback, you two are the best. Good night. Congrats Good again. Night. Yep, Good night. Yep, big congrats. Wow, that Biesma really works. Don't see community theater without it. I know I never do. Biesma works on the principle of suggestibility and has no active ingredients. Best taken with alcohol or cannabis during intermission. Side effects include spontaneous applauding, standing ovations, and frequent urination. Available at the concession stand at the Winter Summer Playhouse. Ask my wife Wilma, who usually works it, but don't ask Carl if he's filling <clears throat> Don't ask Carl if he's filling in. He doesn't know anything about it. Is a terrible actor and was in fact the inspiration for Biasma. <clears throat> Repeated viewing of Waiting for Guffman is recommended if effects last more than four hours. So take it from me, Miss Gypsy Rose Lee. And me, Mama Rose. Biesma will convince all your untalented friends that... That you, you had, had a real, real good, good time. time. Oh, you were wonderful, Harvey. I'll bet the voiceover jobs will start rolling in. Oh, I had the best teacher, Mother Doris. Oh. Now, how do you how do you turn this thing off? Oh, I uh, think it's that mm. knob over there. That oh, No, not yeah. that one. Uh, the, oh. uh, that one, yes. Oh. And now, The Pleasures of Friendly Criticism by Richard Brinsley Sheridan. Of us damn fools who chop the bit to call others' words a piece of shit. May we remind you that being kind is civic charity we can find. But where's the fun in that, you say, when being cruel can be good play? And while we don't want to give offense, it is our intention to provide a pretense. With Mephisto's twists and turns, we'll all end up in blackened urns. So urinate on your neighbor's toil. It's only plagiary words you'll soil. The fretful plagiary, sir. Oh, do beg him to walk up. Now... Mrs. Dang, Sir Fretful Plagiary is an author to your own taste. I confess he is a favorite of mine, because everyone else abuses him. Very much to the credit of your charity, madame, if not of your judgment. <laughs> but he gad. He allows no merit to any author but himself. Uh, that's the truth on it, uh, though he is my friend. 
Never. He is as envious as an old maid, verging on the desperation of six and thirty. Very true, egad. But he is my friend. Then his affected contempt of all newspaper strictures. Though at the same time he is the sorest man alive, and shrinks like scorched parchment from the fiery ordeal of true criticism. Aye, there's no denying it. Though he is my friend. You have read the tragedy he has just finished, haven't you? Oh, yes, he sent it to me yesterday. Well, and you think it execrable, don't you? Why, between ourselves, egad, I must own, though he is my friend, that it is one of the most... Oh, he's here. Finished an admirable performance. Mr. Snarewithin, did you say? Uh, yes, my friend Egad, we were just speaking of your tragedy. <laughs> admirable, Sir Fretful, admirable. You never did anything beyond it, Sir Fretful, never in your life. You make me extremely happy, for without a compliment, my dear Snare, there isn't a man in the world whose judgment I value as I do yours, oh. and Mr. Dangles. Hmm. Not only laughing at you, Sir Fretful, for it was but just now that they... Mrs. Dangle, uh, Sir Fretful, you you know Mrs. Dangle, uh, my friend Snear, was rallying just now. Uh, He (laughs) knows how she admires you and... Oh, Lord, I am sure Mr. Snear has more taste and sincerity than to a damned double-faced fellow. Uh, yes, yes, Snear will jest, uh, <laughs> but a better-humoured person. Oh, uh, oh I know. Uh, he has a ready turn for ridicule. Uh, his <laughs> wit costs him nothing. No, egad, I should wonder how he came by it. Aye, uh, but Sir Fretful, uh, have you sent your play to the managers yet? Mm. Or may I be of any service to you? No, no, I thank you. I sent it to the manager of Covent Garden Theatre oh. this morning. I should have thought now that it might have been cast, as the actors call it, better at Drury Lane. Oh, Lord, no. Never send a play there while I live. Hockey. He writes himself? Yes, I, I know he does. I say nothing. I take away from no man's merit and heard at no man's good fortune. I say nothing. But this I will say. Through all my knowledge of life, I have observed that there is not a passion so strongly rooted in the human heart as envy. I believe you have reason for what you say indeed. Besides, I can tell you it is not always so safe to leave a play in the hands of those who write themselves. What? Uh, They may steal from them, hey, my dear Plagiary? Steal, to be sure, they may, and egad, serve your best thoughts as gypsies do stolen children. Disfigure them to make a pass for their own. But your present work is a sacrifice to Melpomene, and he, you know, never produces... That's no security. A dexterous plagiarist may do anything. Why, sir, for aught I know, he might take out some of the best things in my tragedy and put them into his own comedy. That might be done, I dare be sworn. And then, if such a person gives you the least hint or assistance, he is devilish apt to take the merit of the whole. Uh, If it succeeds. Aye, but with regard to this piece, I think I can hit that, gentlemen, for I can safely swear he never read it. I'll tell you how you may hurt him more. How? Swear he wrote it. Play on it now, Snare. I shall take it ill. I believe you want to take away my character as an author. Then I am sure you ought to be very much obliged to me. Hey, sir. Oh, you know he never means what he says. Sincerely, then. 
You do like the piece. Wonderfully. But come now, there must be something that you think might be mended, eh? Mr. Dangle, has nothing struck you? Uh, why, Faith, it is but an ungracious thing, for the most part, to be able to... With most authors it is just so indeed. They are, in general, strangely tenacious. But for my part, I, I am never so well pleased as when a judicious critic points out any defects to me. Oh! Well, what is the purpose of showing a work to a friend if you don't mean to profit by his opinion? Yeah. Very true. Yes, yes. Why, why, then, though I seriously admire the piece upon the whole, yet there is one small objection which, if you'll give me leave, I'll mention. Sir, you can't oblige me more. I think it wants incident. Good God, you surprise me. Wants incident? Yes, I own I think the incidents are too few. Good God! Believe me, Mr. Snare, there is no person for whose judgment I have a more implicit deference. Oh. But I protest to you, Mr. Snare, I'm only apprehensive that the incidents are too crowded. My dear Dangle, how does it strike you? Uh, really, I, I can't agree with my friend Snare. I, I think the plot quite sufficient, and the four first acts... By many degrees, the best I've ever read or seen in my life. Uh, if I may venture to suggest anything, uh, it is that the interest rather falls off in the fifth. Rises, I believe you mean, uh, no, sir. No, 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 I don't, upon my word. Yes, yes, you do, upon my soul. It certainly don't fall off. I assure you, no, no, it don't fall off. Uh, now, Mrs. Dangle, didn't you say it struck you in the same light? No, indeed I did not. I did not see any fault in any part of the play from beginning to end. Upon my soul, the women are the best judges after all. Or if I made any objection, I am sure it was to nothing in the piece, but I was afraid it was on the whole a little too long. Pray, madam, do you speak as to duration of time, or do you mean that the story is tediously spun out? Oh, no. I speak only with reference to the usual length of acting plays. Then I am very happy. <laughs> very happy indeed. Because the play is a short play, a remarkably short play. I should not venture to differ with the lady on a point of taste, but on these occasions the watch you know is the critic. Then I suppose it must have been Mr. Dangle's drawling manner of reading it to me. <laughs> oh, if Mr. Dangle read it, that's quite another affair. But I assure you, Mrs. Dangle, the first evening you can spare me three hours and a half, I'll undertake to read you the whole from beginning to end, with the prologue and the epilogue, and allow time for the music between the acts. I hope to see it on the stage next. Well, Sir Fretful, I wish you may be able to get rid as easily of the newspaper criticisms as you do of ours. The newspapers? <laughs> Sir, they are the most villainous, licentious, abominable, infernal. <clears throat> Not that I ever read them. No, I make it a rule never to look into a newspaper. Uh, and you are quite right. Mm. Uh, for certainly it must hurt an author of delicate feelings to see the liberties they take. No, quite the contrary. Their abuse is, in fact, the best panegyric. I like it of all things. Oh. An author's reputation is only in danger from their support. 
Why, that's true. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that attack now on you the other day. Oh. What? <laughs> Where? Uh, I, you mean a paper of Thursday. Uh, it was completely uh, ill-natured, to be sure. Oh, 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 oh so much the better. <laughs> I wouldn't have it otherwise. Uh, certainly, it is only to be laughed at. <laughs> you don't happen to recollect what the fellow said, do you? Mm. Uh, uh, pray, Dangle, Sir Fretwell seems a little anxious. Oh, lad, no, anxious not I, not the least. I, but, but one may as well hear, you know. Oh. A sneer, do you recollect? Make out something. I will. Oh, oh yes, yes, I, I remember perfectly. Well, and pray now, not that it signifies. What might the gentleman say? Uh, why, he roundly asserts that you have not the slightest invention or original genius whatever, though you are the greatest traducer of all other authors living. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. That as to comedy, you have not one idea of your own, he believes, even in your commonplace book, where stray jokes and pilfered witticisms are kept with as much method as the ledger of the lost and stolen office. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very pleasant. (laughs) Nay, nay, that you are so unlucky as to not have the skill even to steal with taste, but that you glean from the refuse of obscure volumes where more judicious plagiarists have been before you, so that the body of your work is a composition of dregs and sediments like a bad tavern's worst wine. (laughs) In your most serious efforts, he says, your bombast would be less intolerable if the thoughts were ever suited to the expression. But the homeliness of the sentiment stares through the fantastic encumbrance of its fine language, like a clown in one of the new uniforms. <laughs> ah, ah, <laughs> that your occasional tropes and flowers suit the general coarseness of your style as tambour sprigs would a ground of Lindsay Woolsey, while your imitations of Shakespeare resemble the mimicry of Falstaff's page and are about as near the standard of the original. <laughs> in short, that even the finest passages you steal are of no service to you, for the poverty of your own language prevents their assimilating, so that they lie on the surface, like lumps of marl on a barren moor, encumbering what it is not in their power to fertilize. Now another person would be vexed at this. Oh, but I wouldn't have told you, only to divert you. <laughs> I know it. I am diverted. <laughs> Not the least invention. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> yes, no genius. <laughs> a severe rogue. <laughs> but you are quite right. So fretful never to read such Nonsense! (laughs) To be sure. For if there's anything to one's praise, it is a foolish vanity to be gratified at it. And if it is abuse, why, one is always sure to hear of it from one damned good-natured friend or another. Thank you.
And now this. It is such a true pleasure to have your company. In truth, I have missed our genteel conversation. Lud, how I must keep abreast of the fashions in Paris or Rome without your keen sensibilities. Why, thank you, Mrs. Dangle. Your kindness is only equaled by the quality of your delicate, moist, and creamy sponge cakes. Well, thank you. I do pride myself on my patisserie. <laughs> I must say your travels have brightened your normally porcelain complexion. Forsooth, your cheeks are as luscious as the color of a fall rose hip. Well, indeed, my travels have been as invigorating as a salty poultice on an open wound. But I confess my lustrous and dewy guise has more to do with l'amour. <laughs> well, Lady Teasel, do go on, I implore you. We are women of the world and must share the secrets of our sisterhood. Indeed. Well, as you know, Lord Teasel, my sweet husband Peter, is of advanced years, and when he took me to wife, a woman twenty years his junior, we surmised that our romantic passions might well be how to say this, disparate. So we sought an apothecary to assist, so that Peter could keep up with my ardour, so to speak. Oh, please, dear Teasel, tell me all you know, as I am sad to report that of late Mr. Dangle lives wholly up to his surname in the boudoir, oh. and my skill cajoling has no true effect. Locks a mussy me, I am filled with sorrow for you. But... There is hope, sweet lady. Dr. Malarkey, a noted London apothecary and healer, shared his voluminous knowledge of edible delicacies that can be added easily to the day's diet. After much trial and error, oysters, eggs, sparrows, nuts, including almonds, we found that for Sir Peter, the gentle bird, the woodcock towered over the rest. Mercy me! So are you saying that you discovered that as much as the common woodchuck could chuck wood, the woodcock could make a cock? Mrs. Dangle, your perception is only equaled by your astonishingly well-bred oolong tea. May I have another cake? Try woodcock, the handy 17th century aphrodisiac. Serve with a cranberry stuffing, a rich claret, light the candles, and men hang on to your breeches. Woodcock, a registered trademark of the Malarkey Pharmaceutical Group. A warning can cause a desire to chirp in the early dawn and run from house cat. Join us soon for another epic episode of Faust in Wonderland. For more enticing revelations about our devilishly good podcasts, tune to faustinwonderland.com.